This is uh, really troubling. This is not what experts expected. It has big implications for the economy, big implications for the future and for everyday Americans. Welcome to American Focus. I'm Cole McNeely, General Manager of America's Talking Network. American Focus is a production of America's Talking Network. You can listen to American Focus and all of our podcasts at americastalking.com. That's americastalking.com. Now here's your host, Dan McCaleb. Thank you, Cole, and welcome to the America in Focus podcast powered by the Center Square. I'm Dan McCaleb, executive editor of the Center Square Newswire Service. America in Focus is a production of America's Talking Network. You can find all of the Center Square's great podcasts at americastalking.com. Joining me again today is Casey Harper, Washington, D.C. Bureau Chief for the Center Square. Casey, we are recording this on Friday, April 29th. The NFL draft is underway in Las Vegas. Casey, are you a draft nerd? Uh, I am. I'm not a draft nerd. Um, I haven't been a big fan of drafts since I got, you know, picked last for kickball every week for a few years. So I don't know about you. On the elementary school playground, you were always the last one picked. Yeah, that's where men are forged, legends are made. And here I am. But, you know, those hardships brought me to where I am today. All right. Yeah. Well, you missed out then, Casey. A lot of a lot of action activity last night in the first round of the draft. The seconds and third rounds will be tonight. I'll be tuning in a little bit anyway, checking in and out. My Browns. Yes, I'm a Browns mm. fan. Uh, didn't have a first round pick last night, so well, uh, this is this is usually our Super Bowl. Right. I was going to say this. I'm. It makes sense now why you're so interested in the draft because when you're a Browns fan, it's always a rebuilding year. It's always like this is our year to start rebuilding. So not the draft the, not, is really not anymore. This team is built for uh-huh. championships. Okay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Just one more draft is all we need, and then we'll be ready. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. All right. We actually have some news to talk about today, uh, Casey. One, a bit of a shocker. Um, first quarter GDP numbers came out and the American economy actually shrunk. Um, experts were expecting um, lower GDP growth, but they weren't uh, expecting what the, what the report found. Tell us about this. Yeah, this is uh, really troubling. This is not what experts expected. It has big implications for the economy, big implications for the future and for everyday Americans. And so, it was projected that the economy would actually grow. Um, it actually, the economy almost always grows unless there's something crazy like COVID. Uh, the economy actually needs to grow just to keep up with the increasing population and, of course, the ever increasing debt. You know, it, it's worth pointing out, and as part of context, the story that is that the federal, you know, debt has surpassed GDP, which is a new benchmark. So it was kind of worrying. What does that mean when the federal debt passes the the nation's GDP? And now the GDP is shrinking, uh, which which is not good. But so um, the Bureau of Economic Analysis, which keeps track of these kind of things, um, reported this week that the economy shrank by 1.4%. Now, it was projected the economy would grow by 1%. So that's more than a two-point swing. Uh, Last year, this is a big change from last year, we actually saw pretty significant GDP growth, almost 6%, which is high. Uh, But that was... A lot of that was because of the bounce back of um, from COVID. So, you know, all the businesses were shut down in 2020. And so when they came back, there was kind of a natural GDP growth. But now, despite trillions in federal spending last year, um, government programs to accelerate the economy, we saw this quarter that it 
um, actually decreased, even as inflation and the federal debt continues to increase. Now, we're, we're about a month already into the uh, second quarter. Mm-hmm. If um, if the GDP, if the economy shrinks uh, and GDP, the GDP is in negative numbers again, is that an actual recession? Well, it's an indicator that we'd be heading to a recession. The GDP is, an, is a weird number. In some ways, you know, the GDP is a bit detached from reality because, you know, the, the overall size of the economy is such a is really hard to calculate. It's kind of nebulous. So it's really just an indicator. The economy is, is so complex that. You don't ever know anything for sure, but you have these these indicators, these red flags that can go up. And so it's not that the you know economy shrinking a certain amount would be a recession. It's more that this is a sign uh, that things are going in the wrong direction. And yeah, if this continued into the next quarter, that would be really worrying, especially just because there's been so much federal spending to stimulate the economy. And presumably we should still be in some kind of COVID rebound, right? I mean, we should still be uh, recovering from COVID and Business is coming out flourishing, um, but we're seeing that the, the pressure has been too much, and Americans are actually more worried about inflation than they have been in decades. Uh, you know, which we covered some this week, but inflation is at the highest level in de- in in like forty years, and so all these are again these are all just red flags, and we kind of cover these individual red flags. The Fed is raising interest rate, but eventually these start to add up um, to a pretty troubling uh, picture. And and uh, today you're you're uh, you're talking to an economist who has some significant concerns concerns uh, about this week this week sort of tying uh, all of the economic news together and what it means for Americans. I'm looking forward to that. Any insight into? Uh, I know you haven't had that interview yet, but any in- insight mm-hmm. to what you're going to talk about and what his concerns are? Yeah, well, th- it's all against this backdrop of um, forgiving student loan debt as well. You know, so. Biden has been talking a lot about forgiving student loan debt or canceling it. Um, that's, you know, politically, you could see some of the motivation. I mean, you, you would think that a grateful millennial generation would turn out in droves for the Democrats if Biden did that. Or at least that's the reasoning for those who support it. The opponents say that, I mean, this is going to further increase inflation. There's been, you know, a, a recent poll that showed Americans think that. But, you know, there's kind of uh, one of the problems when federal spending is so rampant. The mentality kind of it shifts to well if they're going to spend all this money i might as well get mine right i might as well get mine if we can spend uh you know 1.9 trillion on a covid bill and i'm not really sure what that did for me and my family why can't we at least forgive student loans we cancel student loans it's like 1.6 trillion it's actually less than you know the covid bill that was passed seemingly so easily last year so uh all that goes against the the backdrop of this really um, struggling economy. One thing we're going to look at is what the Federal Reserve, when I talk with this expert, what the Federal Reserve can do to address it. Federal Reserve doesn't have a great track record on this. You know, they they raise interest rates to try to curb inflation, but inevitably when they raise interest rates, it can cause a recession or at least economic decline. Um, So what is what are these Federal Reserve interest rates going to do to the economy? Um, And you know, we've even seen mortgage rates uh, increase. If you were hoping to buy a home, you probably should have done it a few months ago because the mortgage, the interest rates are steadily increasing. That's one evidence of what the Federal Reserve has done. Um, so when the Fed tries to rein in inflation, it can work, but it comes at a pretty hefty economic cost. So, so if the president is talking about canceling student loan debt, why not just cancel mortgages pay off everybody's mortgages if we're handing out Dan, don't give them any ideas 
<laughs> honestly, the spending it, uh, under this administration right now is just, it's, I, I don't know what the adjective is I'm looking for. It's just out of control. It's just alarming. All right. Well, let's talk about inflation a little bit more, um, mm-hmm. Casey. Uh, you covered there was a new poll out that Americans are significantly worried about the rising costs of just about everything. Tell us about the poll. Yeah. So this poll addressed the very question we've been discussing, and um, it, it asked Americans, you know, about their spending habits. We have a couple ones, but it's from Gallup, and it showed that Americans say the the economy is the most important problem in their mind, which is important. Actually, that if I try to kind of add some political flavor to all these, just as we head towards the midterms, um, Republicans are generally a little more trusted on the economy, while Democrats are more trusted on issues like healthcare and climate change. But the poll found that Americans' confidence in the economy remains very low. This is a quote, and mentions of economic issues as the most important problem in the U.S. are at their highest point since 2016. Inflation, uh, which registered as a top economic problem last month and continues to be was previously at this level in 1984. So Americans are more worried now uh, about inflation than they have been um, since the 80s. Uh, so, you know, this show, this is, you know, ha- one, this is just shows how Americans are perceiving um, the economy. It, it obviously has some political implications for November, but also has to do with consumer confidence. It affects how Americans invest. It affects uh, what, whether they're take, willing to take risks or, or buy that house that might be a little outside of their budget. Um, it makes them play it safer. And, you know, all the consumer confidence uh, markers we've seen show that people are, are more concerned. Um, and also, you know, the, the most biggest way this hits home for a lot of people is gas prices. And uh, Biden, President Joe Biden is not getting by unscathed. You know, another Rasmussen reports poll found that 61% of voters blame Biden for these gas prices. So when you look at what uh, the American people, how they feel about this economy, um, they're very worried about it. They're very worried about inflation. The economy is top of mind. Um, They're very worried about gas prices. And despite President Biden's attempts to blame Vladimir Putin for gas prices and inflation, they don't buy it. They are the majority blame President Biden um, and his policies. And so Obviously, this has big implications for November, and it also just has implications for how the how how aggressive the Biden administration thinks they need to be in addressing this inflation. And when 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 consumers express this level of concern about the economy, they do get safer with their spending. Generally speaking, they do um, maybe not buy um, that whatever anything mm-hmm. stereo system, mm-hmm. TV, whatever. Uh, don't go out to eat as much. Don't go out to the movies or any entertainment uh, venues as much. And that also has a future impact on the economy. If Americans stop spending on things like this, that that's going to affect the con- the economy in the future too. Yeah. Not everyone can maintain the, the Dan McCaleb lifestyle. And as this economy gets worse and worse, the, the entertainment, the nightlife, you know, they can't do it. Anymore. <laughs> uh, sorry guys. Dan is infamous for his, his nightlife. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. My, my nightlife at home with my wife. That's, yeah. That's right. my nightlife. Watching TV land. Uh-huh. Watching the NFL draft. <laughs> NFL draft. That's right. Watching the NFL draft. But you're you're absolutely right that again, this is another red flag. So yeah, people often in, in reporting, they try to boil reporting on the economy down to one thing and say, oh, because of this one inflation marker, everything is so bad. But I, I try to be a little more balanced in my reporting and try to give people the fuller picture and say, well, there's this, 
there's these other economic indicators. This is how it's working together. Um, but right now they're all working together in the wrong direction. Uh, and, you know, federal spending is really, I, I've been talking a lot about the role of federal spending in this, but it's because no one is really talking about it. Um, and it's <laughs> this stat, I, I'm trying to bring this statistic up more and more, but this is to me the biggest statistic that's being ignored in pretty much all of American politics right now. And it's that the total U.S. money supply has increased by 40% in the last two years. If the total amount, number of dollars has increased by 40%. So we can say inflation has increased, you know, 10% or depending on the different metrics, but the money supply has increased 40%. So depending on how you measure inflation, I mean, uh, it, <laughs> how much has inflation really increased? And if all that money is floating around out there, how long can, can you really pull it back? And uh, are we just now, are we going to continue to feel the effects of that increased money supply for months and even years? The economists say that um, inflation will very likely head into 2023. So this is going to be around for a while. Um, Democrats are, are going to probably pay a price for it in November based on all the polling we're seeing. And Americans are really worried about it. Another uh, major concern uh, of Americans is this ongoing spike in illegal immigration. Um, it's been an issue uh, since really since President Biden took office and he, he eased um, some of our border policies, um, including uh, something he put in place uh, earlier this month, and that is the end of Title 42 enforcement. Title 42 was a policy put in place um, under President Trump during the pandemic that allowed Border Patrol agents to immediately expel uh, illegal immigrants um, who are crossing the border that are seeking asylum. Uh, President Biden wants to uh, end that next month. A, a, a federal court judge um, has issued a temporary restraining order uh, against that decision, but it's it's still an ongoing uh, concern. Uh, what, what you wrote about this topic this week? What's going on with it? Yeah, this is one of a few uh, immigration policy changes that have really come to a head in the last few weeks. Um, illegal immigration has absolutely soared since uh, President Biden took office. In the month of March alone, there were two hundred and twenty thousand um, encounters that Border Patrol had with illegal immigrants coming across the border. That, of course, doesn't account for those who got in undetected and who knows how many that was but you can ask yourself if you're listening if your town has more than two hundred and twenty thousand people living in does your town have a population of more or less than two hundred and twenty thousand the town i grew up in had a population of about seventy thousand so just thinking of my entire town coming across the border uh four times every month the entire population of my town four times every month and these are really big numbers um they've increased a lot and the more overwhelmed Border Patrol gets, and they are overwhelmed. And actually, I'd love to hear you talk a little about that, Dan, in a moment, because I know you've been working with other reporters on a lot of great border coverage. So I know you have some more like context out of this. But the more the Border um, Patrol gets overwhelmed, the, the more people are getting by that they're not detecting. Right. And so the, the more overwhelmed they are, the less reliable their numbers are in a way because they can't account for how bad things are getting, but this is getting really bad. Title 42 is a big legal battle over it right now. Um, as you said, the the idea was to keep illegal immigrants out of the country because they might have COVID. Um, now the Biden restriction has tried to lift it, but the judge has said maybe they can't do that. There's a few lawsuits against the Biden administration for their kind of lack of rigorous enforcement of some of these immigration measures, but 
it's all coming to a head right now because the uh, the numbers of illegal immigrants is so high. Um, I don't know if you wanted to share anything, Dan, about kind of what you're seeing there and, and the different reporting about kind of the chaos at the border right now. Sure. Well, first, the uh, the Department of Homeland Security uh, secretary testified before a congressional committee this week, and he, uh, he he painted a picture that everything's under control, that they have a plan in place in case there is a surge on top of the surge, <laughs> um, if Title 42 is, in fact, lifted. But our correspondent at the border, Bethany Blankley, has talked to both current and former patrol agents who painted a far, far worse a picture of what's going on there. In fact, they, they, everyone she talked to, uh, within Border Patrol and 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 uh, a retired Border Patrol um, agent, said that the that essentially we have lost operational control at the border as well as operational awareness. And what we mean by operational awareness is they've got no clue who's coming over the border, how many, who these people are, whether they're um, you know criminals um uh or what and that that um if there is another surge on top of the current surge that it's it's going to be chaos and some are already saying it is already um uh, chaos and what happens to these people uh when they when they cross the border it's it's it's, it's really concerning yeah i mean loss of would you say operational awareness operational awareness meaning yeah, I, they have think, no clue what's who's coming across the border mm-hmm. and how many are coming across the border yes they log encounters they, there were more than two million encounters by border patrol agents law enforcement at the border last year but that does not uh, count what they what they call it's their term gotaways the ones mm-hmm. who weren't detected because miles and miles and miles hundreds of miles of the border um aren't aren't protected or there aren't uh, law enforcement agents um, observing and, and able to um, uh, uh, to monitor the border in those stretches. And they have no idea how many uh, people have entered the country illegally undetected. Yeah. Loss of operational awareness. I think I think that's what they call it when Biden gives that blank stare in the middle of his oh. speeches. But uh, <laughs> no, um, I, I, I want to add one more thing on this topic, though. I was at the Supreme Court on Tuesday, because there was a, another, the Remain in Mexico policy, which is somewhat related, it, similar, and, and it's definitely related. It's about having, you know, asylum seekers and different um, people wait in Mexico for their court proceedings, because um, a lot of people don't know this, but for those who are, you know, caught, even those who are caught by Border Patrol, they often will just get a piece of paper telling them to, you know, please come back for your court hearing on this date. But the vast majority of them never come back for the hearing. Um, and they, they, dis- they disappear into, into the country. Right. And, and, and no one really goes looking for them. ICE, immigration and custom enforcement. Uh, Biden has instructed them to really only target, you know, those with criminal records. So, and even those, they don't get all of them. So, um, you know, if you come across the border illegally, unless you are, you know, un- like have really like murdered someone or committed some kind of violent crime or something, you can get your little court date and, you know, head up to California or uh, anywhere, anywhere, anywhere you want. Yeah. Anywhere you want, any state. And uh, that's why, you know, I brought up, you know, the Supreme court, because uh, I was able to ask a question to attorney generals for Missouri or Miss, yeah, Missouri and Texas. And uh, you know, one of the th- things that's become a talking point is we're all border states now. That's what they're saying because right. people are just have so there's so many people and they can go anywhere they want. Um, and the other thing of this is the fentanyl. You know, fentanyl is a huge crisis in the country right now. 
dangerous, uh, dangerous, so, dangerous yeah. drug. Yeah, there's been um, so many overdoses. It's becoming so prolific. And, you know, so much of it is coming across the southern border. And so while, you know, states like Missouri and New Jersey, they may not have the same levels of migrants, they're all struggling with these uh, fentanyl use. And so that has kind of helped raise this issue to even more national prominence and made states that aren't border states get really involved. Yeah, we, we, as a matter of fact, last week at the Center Square in Washington state, we, uh, we covered um, a, a talk by a, a Washington U.S. congressional member who said the fentanyl crisis in the state of Washington, the far northwest corner of the country, um, is out of control. So it, it does, it's not, not an issue that just impacts border states like Texas right. and Arizona. Well, it's, that's another that's concerning, and of course, um, uh, there we expect developments uh, uh, on this front in the next several weeks, and we'll be covering it at the centersquare.com. Another sort of an I don't know interesting story, unusual story um, uh, with the Department of Homeland Security, um, where uh, they they are creating a, a, a new board within the DHS that's going to combat disinformation. People are calling it speech police. What's this about? Yeah, this is a very, very, as you said, interesting story. It's kind of alarming um, as as DHS struggles pretty mightily to um, handle the, the fentanyl, the the border crisis, as we just you know, spoke about at length. They announced this week that they are starting uh, a, dis, a disinformation governance board is what they call it, a disinformation governance board. And it's basically to put the full law enforcement power of DHS behind um, monitoring and policing certain things that are deemed, you know, disinformation. Now, what they cite, they call it a threat. Yeah, they called it a threat, um, and they call it a huge threat. Actually, Mayorkas did. DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas said it was a huge threat, and they stood up this, you know, this government governance board. And what they they said it was for is to target Russian disinformation. And then they talked about migratory disinformation. There's some, you know, people who basically take advantage of illegal immigrants a lot because, you know, of the, the language barrier, different things. They're a pretty vulnerable population when it comes to scams um, and, and trafficking and different things like that. So there is that's what those are the two issues they pointed to. But a lot of people were really quick to say, um, wait a minute, this <laughs> this, you know, this sounds a lot like what we see. We saw like in the Soviet Union or um you know, fascist states, a sort of ministry of truth um, where you have a, a government agency with law enforcement power that's in charge of deeming what speech is okay, what speech isn't. And of course, there's always this kind of noble um, motives that are um, attributed to those agencies by the government. But we've seen in history that that's been really dangerous. So there are people, a lot of people are up in arms in this. Marco Rubio called it a Soviet style censorship agency um, that's come basically, you know, undermining the First Amendment. He said that uh, this they call he calls them speech police. Basically, he said, guys, it's time to wake up. This is a quote. If you don't think these people are coming after free speech, if you don't think they're coming after freedom, you better believe it now. Um, it would, one thing that made this criticism even worse was uh, Nina Jankowitz, who is helping out with who's going to be on this board, um, is what she said on Twitter. She'd be on this board. She was um, tweeting about the Hunter Biden laptop and disinformation during the 2020 election. And so that's a great example of how um, this could really come. Meaning, meaning, the, Hunter, meaning the Hunter Biden laptop was the, the New York Post story about it 
was disinformation, even though it's large parts of that story have been proven true. Yeah. And she's tried to kind of defend her comments and say that she wasn't actually saying that she was kind of quoting one of the candidates at the time saying that. Um, so she kind of backpedaled from it and, you know, so it is a little, a little muddied, but it's a great example of why this is so controversial. So a lot of people when that Hunter Biden laptop story came out said, this is Russian disinformation. Um, and it was censored by Twitter. You probably remember, but now as time, time has gone by, we've seen more and more evidence come out to confirm that story. And the New York times has confirmed that the laptop exists. And so, um, that obviously swayed the presidential election. I mean, who knows if it actually was enough to affect the outcome? We'll never know. But well, the, the, the creation of this disinformation governance board, the timing of it is also a bit curious. Yes, it yeah. happens within a week of uh, a billionaire Tesla founder, uh, Elon Musk, um, purchasing Twitter, um, saying he was going to make free speech was going to be his guiding force in, in leading um, mm -hmm. Twitter because of the years of censorship on Twitter. So I, I, I don't know that they're connected. I don't know if you have any insight into that, but it just, it seems curious. It does seem very curious. Uh, a lot of this is often politically motivated. Um, it's coming from the top. And so it could be that this has been a discussion for a long time. And then Musk's purchase has just elevated it to the top of the to-do list for the, for the administration. Um, we won't know for sure, but they are definitely, um, the timing is very interesting. And I think this is going to be a big story to watch because whatever this agency does, I mean, I think this could be on the chopping block if Republicans get power to shut it down. They're pretty upset about it. Um, and they, you know, they've really taken on this mantle of free speech. So this would be a, an easy opportunity for Republicans to actually do something legislatively um, to, def to defend it because they haven't had a lot of control over what social media companies do but this is something actually a lawmaker could address well thank you for your insight uh casey but that is all the time we have this week um and a reminder for our listeners so you can find all of the center squares podcasts at americastalking.com take a look please subscribe there is no cost that's americastalking.com for casey harper i'm dan McCaleb. we'll talk to you next week <laughs>